Glad you're here. Very excited to be here with you this morning. Hope you're excited too. Say with me, Jesus. Had, come on, Jesus has something good for me today. She believes it. Eliana believes it. Does anybody believe that? The goodness of God is the foundation of our faith. It has nothing to do with you. He loves you because he wants to. He wants to be good to you because he's good. Do you believe that? So say it with me, Jesus has something good for me today. Jesus has something good for you today too. I want to encourage everybody watching my live stream. I want to encourage you all to share the stream. Uh, we're working through John chapter 12. And so I want to bring you up to speed. Uh, some of you that haven't been here the last few weeks, I want to just kind of bring you up to speed and then I'm going to bring you into this part of the, uh, John chapter 12. Alex, you got that map? So what's going on in John chapter 11, Jesus typically kept his ministry, was always up here around the region of Galilee, but he would come down to Jerusalem, which is over here, for, for feasts. There were certain festivals throughout the year, and Jesus would go down to Jerusalem for the feasts and for the festivals. And what he's been doing in the last couple of chapters is he's come down into this region because Passover is coming. And Passover was one of the most dominant feasts. It was actually the spiritual new year on the Jewish calendar. And so one male from every household had to be represented in Jerusalem. So the whole family could come, but if the family couldn't come, the head of the household had to be there. And so this was called a moed, an appointment, a mikra and a moed. And so long story there, I won't get into that. But anyway, Jesus is down in this region because Passover is about to begin. He actually is over here on the other side of the Jordan in this town called Bethany. There's two Bethanies. There's Bethany across the Jordan, and then there's Bethany near Jerusalem. And every time Jesus came down into Jerusalem, he never stayed in Jerusalem. He always stayed in Bethany, one Bethany or the other. Anybody remember what Bethany means? House of the broken, right? Beth, house, ani, as broken. House of the broken, Bethlehem, Lehem is bread, Beth, house of bread. And so this Jesus, say with me, Jesus didn't hang out in the house of the religious, but he always hung out in the house of the broken. Yeah? He didn't go to religious households. He didn't go to those who were spiritual, who, who, who were, you know, correct in every way or thought they were. And even when he's over here, typically what people would do when they come to this region of the Dead Seas, they'd stay in Jericho. Jesus doesn't even stay in Jericho. He leaves and goes away, and he still finds a Bethany, and he hangs out in the house of the Bethany. The way that one, one of the things we talked about a couple weeks ago is that Bethany, when Jesus was in Bethany over here, so Mary, Lazarus, and Martha are over here. Lazarus has died, and so as we were talking about this a couple weeks ago, Jesus would go and hang out with, um, thanks, man, thanks, Phoenix, huh? rocking it. So uh, Jesus would go and hang out with this family over here in Bethany, and when Jesus communes in the house of the broken, this is how our brokenness is healed, Christian. All of us have issues within our lives. We're really good at hiding them. We're amazingly good at hiding them. I think Christians are professionals, right? We, you know, the whole world is a hypocrites, but Christians are professional hypocrites. I mean, bless God, hallelujah, brother. You know, I got it all going on. That we're just, we're shiny, happy people. And that's not really the case. The, really, as a believer, you are in process through and out of your brokenness. And the way that that process happens is when Jesus communes with you and you commune with him. And, the, you know, he's telling us prophetically, even through the narrative of these texts, that he hangs out in the broken. He's not looking for the religious. He's looking through the broken. And so healing comes to the broken when we commune with Jesus, right? This is how it works. Vulnerability, honesty, all these different things, prayer, communion. You don't have to put on airs. Say this, if my heart condemns me, Jesus is greater than my heart, and he knows all things. So 1 John says, so what are you hiding? He already knows everything. What are you hiding it from? He knows you're broken. You know, we're all messed up. We all got issues. We got anger issues. We got procrastination issues. We got discipline issues. We got mouth issues. Some of us say too much. Some of us say too little. Some of us do too much. Some of us do too little. We all got issues. We all got issues. And so what Jesus is doing, Mary and Martha, in the earlier part of the chapter, Jesus comes over here. He raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus dies, or Matt Lazarus dies. He uses two Greek words. He uses the word thanesko, and he says, this, this sickness that Lazarus has is not unto death. He uses the word thanesko. Thanesko means this eternal separation. So he says, Lazarus is not going to be eternally separated. 
And then when Lazarus dies, Jesus uses, the, or, or, you know, he uses thanaton. Then when, Jesus, when, when Lazarus dies, he uses the word apothanesco, which means Lazarus has left his body. And so Jesus waits until Lazarus leaves his body. He comes over and he raises Lazarus from the dead. Then afterwards, he goes to a dinner party in Bethany. And he goes to the house of a leper that he cleansed. So leprosy, issues of the flesh, Jesus had cleansed this guy of his leprosy. Guy's having a dinner party. So here's the scene. Jesus is at the dinner. So Jesus is there. So that makes it all the more important. You got a leper that's been cleansed and you got a brother that was raised from the dead. So that would be a cool dinner to be at, right? You'd be like, wow, this is crazy. And so Jesus is there in Bethany and he's having this dinner. This is the setup to chapter 12 here. And so they're having this dinner. And the Bible says that people from all over the region came to Lazarus's house. They didn't come to see Jesus. It says they came to see Lazarus. So they came for the Lazarus and the leper show, right? So here's the scene. You have hundreds of thousands of people pouring into Jerusalem for this festival. And so, you know, when you get on vacation and you're a couple of days early, you got nothing to do. You're like, man, what's there to do around here, you know? Festival don't start for a couple of days. What do we do? I know. Let's rent some scooters, Marty, and let's go over to Bethany and let's check out this dude that was raised from the dead. And so all these people renting scooters, going on bus tours, going over to Bethany, standing outside the house where Jesus is. Hey, yo, you know, what's going on? You know, we wanna, they want to see, see the leper and they want to see the Lazarus. They weren't even interested in Jesus. And so the next day, this is where chapter 12 picks up, the day after the dinner, the day after the dinner, the great multitude came. There was the next day a great multitude that had come to the feast. When they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and they laid them down on the road as he was journeying. And, he cry, and they cried out when they saw him, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Jerusalem, daughter of Zion, for your king comes to you sitting lowly on a colt. And his disciples didn't understand this until after he was raised from the dead. Then they remembered and connected these things. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him, ran in front of him, right? So Jesus is going into Jerusalem and all the people that had watched him raise Lazarus from the dead are running in front of him. Ah, ah. And, in, and so then all of these people came out to see Jesus. And the Pharisees said to one another, look, we are accomplishing nothing. The whole world comes unto him. He raises Lazarus. He comes from the dinner party. He's going into Jerusalem. And say with me, this is the first time Jesus would enter Jerusalem as king. All throughout the Gospels, they tried to make him king a couple of times, tried to kill him many times, but they tried to make him king, and Jesus would never allow them to make him king. He would not even, he refused the title of king entirely, except here. There's only two places in the Bible where Jesus accepted and brought forth the title of king. One is as he's entering Jerusalem on this date, and the second was when he was crucified, and it says, here, lies the, here hangs the king of the Jews. And so he is the rightful king, but he never accepted the title. And the reason that he never accepted the title is because that title, when the Messiah embraces that title, it's, it's, to be, it's in concert with a prophetic sequence. There's a, there's a prophetic timeline that needed to be met before he would, he, would, he would take that title. And we'll talk about that. And so you got a whole group of people. You got the fans, right? All the fans, woo, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. They don't even know what's going on. They're just there, right? I like some of our Christian concerts. They're not even believers, but it's just something awesome. They're just like, when they yell Jesus, I just yell Jesus. Why are you loving Jesus? Do you even know Jesus? No, I don't know Jesus, but I'm just yelling what everybody else does because I'm just, yay, Jesus. You have the fans. You have the believers, those that believe in him but don't really ever do anything. Then you got the followers, those are the guys that are all in. And then you got the cynics and the critics, always the haters. The haters are always there. Haters going to hate. If you ain't popping, you don't have haters, man. But if you're paid popping, you got haters, Marty. You remember that. <laughs> so a king would have a procession. This is nothing new. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem with a procession. There are people in front of him. There are people around him. They're singing. They're dancing. They're doing all these things. Very common in the ancient culture to have a procession. There's a guy that was a king of Jerusalem, and a king of Israel, and this guy knew how to have an entourage. His name was Solomon. Anybody ever heard of Solomon? Really rich, really wise, 
Okay? The Bible talks a lot about Solomon and all of his wealth and his wisdom and all of the treasures. There's a historian named Josephus. And this historian named Josephus, kept, he's, he wrote a bunch of volumes called The Antiquities of the Jews. And he went back and wrote about just really just historical commentaries and uh, revealing and keeping record of all of the things that had taken place throughout Israel. And in his antiquities, he, he wrote about Solomon. And so Josephus was around during the time of Jesus. He witnessed Jesus, so, but he was a historian. He wrote all of the books. He, he gathered all this data on the history. He talked about the Maccabean revolt. He talked about um, Pontius Pilate. He talked about the history of the kings and the Israeli kings and all these different things. And he wrote about Solomon. He wrote a lot about Solomon. And he talks about Solomon. And he says, Solomon would choose young men of the most delightful age. So basically... Solomon would pick guys that were like models, like GQ-esque, you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, like really, you know, buff brothers, you know, the ones that just came out of the CrossFit gym. They're looking good. They got it all going on. And he says he would choose them for their stature because they were larger than others. So big, tall, muscular dudes, and they would have long hair hanging down, and they were clothed in garments of Tyrian purple. <laughs> Not just purple, Tyrian purple. And they had their hair, they had gold dust laden in their hair every day. Huh? It gets better. Every day their hair was sprinkled with gold dust so that their hair would reflect from the sunbeams with the gold. The king would ride upon a chariot in the midst of these men. Some of them were still wearing armor and had their bows fitted upon them. And the king would ride in this chariot in pure white. And he would take this progression throughout the city in the mornings. So here you have Solomon, right? Pure flex, man. Total, total, total flex. Solomon would have warrior guys on the front of his entourage. He would have 30 brothers doing the Tom Cruise run in front of the chariot. 30 of them. You know what I mean? 30 of them. All these dudes, in the morning, they'd come, they'd get oiled down. Their only job was to run in front of the king. They're working out, you know, jumping jacks, all the other stuff, you know, flexing with each other. That's all they did all day long, get in shape. Their whole job was to work out, and when the king brought the chariot out, they would run before the chariot in purple, glazed in oil and gold in their hair, right? Pretty boy coming through. That's what's going on there. And so he was driving down, and, and Solomon would be cruising down in his chariot. He had 1,400 chariots. You think you got a car collection? The brother had 1,400 chariots. The Bible says he built cities for his chariots. I'm sure when he went to some of these chariots, he'd be like, man, I didn't even know I had that Ferrari. I didn't even know that was there. I didn't know I had a Maybach hair. Somebody told me I didn't have that. Dude, did you, you do not tell me I had a Maybach? Where's my Maybach? I just bought another one. Yes, your sir. yes, sire, but you bought the Tiffany blue one. This is the black one. He had 1,400 chariots. 1,400. And he would dress in white. Golden boys running in front of him. Warriors on the, on the hop in front of him. He had the most beautiful horses, the Bible says. They came from around to buy Solomon's horses. Swifter and fairer than any horses around. So he's got these guys just totally immaculate. People were riding in front of him. When his sons, Adonijah and Absalom, when they revolted, so he had two sons. He had problems in the family, right? David had some problems. And when Adonijah and, and Absalom, well, Adonijah tried to, they, they were trying to usurp their father. And so when they tried to usurp, when they tried to fight for the throne, the throne went to Solomon. They put 50 runners in front of them. So it's kind of like, you know, oh, the old man's going to throw down 30. I'm going to throw down 50. You know what I mean? It's kind of like anybody with sons, you know exactly what's going on. Yeah, I can do 20 push-ups, well, I can do 50. You know, it's kind of like a, a show here. And so this, Solomon had this entourage, and he was a king, and he had such wealth and such power. Jesus is greater than Solomon. And J Solomon went with vanity. And so, in a, in a, you know, his, the whole purpose of being seen, the whole purpose of doing anything was merely towards himself. Everything with Solomon was a flex. There really wasn't any purpose to it other than the fact to just cruise around the city in a white robe with the boys in front of him, you know what I'm saying? Like, yo, you know, that's all he was doing. Windows down, cruising around town. He would do it every morning. Jesus isn't, come, Jesus isn't rolling with an entourage for vanity. 
He's rolling with an entourage because he has purpose. And so Jesus is a greater king. It doesn't matter what you have or what you don't have. What is the purpose? What are you doing? You know what I mean? Is it all about you? Are you rolling because of you? Is it all about your vanity, your looks? Is it, or, or is what you do for, for purpose? You know, we live in a very social media world. We live in a very, I mean, you can be your own media company, literally. You got a cell phone, you're NBC. I mean, literally, that's the way it is. You got to build your audience, of course, but there's no gatekeepers on media anymore. And the question isn't whether or not we have access to media. The question is, is what are we using it for, Right? You know, do we, use our, do we use the media solely for self-ending purposes or do we use media that, that actually enables us to propagate the gospel? You know what I mean? Nothing wrong with having a business, but is the business all about you or is it all about Jesus? Which brings me to the cult. Jesus sends two disciples ahead of him. This story is told in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The three other gospels say that Jesus' disciples went and found the cult tied to a post. And they said, hey, if anybody asks you why you're taking the cult, you just simply say, the Lord has need of it right? You'd be walking out your driveway. Somebody's taking your car. You're like, yo, dude, what are you taking my truck for, man? Jesus needs it. Oh, okay. That's cool. I got you. So they took his donkey and Jesus had need of it, but this donkey was tied up to a post. And the question that I comes to my mind every time I read that story is what do I have in my life that I tie up to a post that the master could use? What do you have in your life that you have tied up to a post that could be used for greater purposes? What do you have? Time, talent, what? I don't know. Treasure? I mean, what, what do you got? What, what is the areas of your life that, that really just sit dormant that could be used for greater purposes? Big challenge there. Jesus is at witnesses at Bethany, so here's what's happening. These guys that raise the dead, just like the guys, the Tom Cruise guys that would be running in front of Solomon, they would, they would say, Hail Solomon, King of Israel, Lord of the Palestinian lands in the upper Sinai. They would all be heralding him as he came. I believe Jesus had a herald. It's not in the Bible, but it is in my imagination, so this is good, right? The Lord had a herald. He's got all these people running forward going, it's Jesus. It's the guy who raised the dead. So there would be people running in front of him yelling. There would be singing. There would be dancing. Some people would be dancing gracefully. Other people would be baltering. You know what I'm saying? You guys remember baltering, right? We baltered last week. Balter means, come on, Elias, you remember baltering, don't you? Balter means to dance in an unsophisticated and uncoordinated way. And Jesus likes it. You don't have to be Barishnikov for Jesus to, to accept that worship. You don't have to be. And so he's rolling into town. He's got this crew with him. He's going in front of him. And I believe there was a herald because the people started flocking. Somebody's standing up going, ladies and gentlemen, may I present to you the resurrection and the life, the healer of the blind eyes. The opener of deaf ears, the king of glory, rightful heir to the throne of David, rightful heir to the everlasting throne, breaker of chains. May his name is Jesus. <laughs> and the people would run and go, Hosanna. Say it with me, Hosanna. Come on, give it to me. Hosanna. Hosanna to the son of David. Come on. It's like you're there, right? Hosanna means Lord save now. Lord now. Lord now deliver. Lord now heal. Lord now save. Lord now. Lord now. Some of y'all need a provision. You need to go, Hosanna. <laughs> Hosanna to the son of David. And they're singing, and they're shouting, and there's three prophetic things that Jesus did in one day. One day. There's hundreds of prophecies about Jesus. Hundreds. I saw a guy, he took ten. And he said, for one man to fulfill these ten prophecies, the factor is ten to the seventeenth power, which is ten with seventeen zeros behind it. That's only ten. He's going to fulfill three in one day. They're actually speaking the Psalm 118. So when the Israelites would come to Jerusalem, they had a series of songs, and they're in the book of Psalms, and they're called the Songs of Ascent. And so each day during the feast, they would sing a specific psalm. They would, be a, they would be songs where they would come up into Jerusalem, songs that would be sung throughout the feast, and then there would be closing songs at the end of the festival. Psalm 18 was the one that was sung at the end of the festival. So they're out of order here. Why are they singing Psalm 18 at the beginning of the festival? 
Well, Psalm 18, Psalm 118 is the prophetic psalm. It's the one that talks most distinctly about the Messiah. In Psalm 118, you have the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Well, that's Jesus. It is the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. You have, you have him saying, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I think it's Luke. It says they sang a song after the, Jesus has the Passover dinner with his disciples. It's one of the Gospels. It only says it once. It says they sang a song and went out into the garden. Well, what song did they sing? Well, the festival is over. We know what song they sang. They sang Song 118. That's, that would, they wouldn't be singing, you know, I don't know, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star or anything like that. They'd be singing what was in order of the feast. And in the feast is the words, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. You've got to realize Jewish, Jewish uh, days began at sunset. And so the day had already begun. When the sun goes down, the day begins. That's how their time is. Ours is when the sun comes up. Theirs is when the sun comes down. The evening and the morning is the first day. That's how they render it. Evening and morning from Genesis. So when the sun goes down, it's evening, new day. So that's how, they, that's how they look at it. Sun's gone down, so the day that Jesus, Jesus will be crucified has begun. And he's singing, this is the day. This is the day that has been planned from the foundation of the earth. This is the day that I will give my life for the many. This is the day that I will give my atoning sacrifice. This is the day I will be crucified and shamed beyond, in front of the nations. All of the nations will gather and they will watch the shame of the Messiah who dies for you. All of the nations will gather and they will watch the Messiah bleed who bled for you. This is the day. And what does he say? I will rejoice and be glad in it. I will celebrate this day. What does the Bible tell us? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the same. You're the joy. <laughs> is Jesus your joy? If you're in Christ, is Jesus your joy? Because you're his. The bread is for the children. Come on. The bread belongs to you. The provision belongs to you. You're not equal. The Christian is not equal. It's time that the Christian understands they're not equal. You're not equal. The bread belongs to you. You're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Not the unbeliever. You are. The promises of God to you are yes and amen. God's promises are to you, not to the culture. They're outsiders. Not everybody's God's child. They who believe God are given the power to be called the sons and daughters. Those who give their lives to Christ. If you're not in Christ, you're not a son and daughter. You're outside of his family. But if you are, a son, if you are in Christ, you're a son and daughter. And the heir, you are owners of the divine inheritance. You're ignorant to it. You don't know what, what to do with it or even how to respond to it. That's the, that's the massive problem. The massive problem lies there. But the fact and the truth is, is that you are heirs. There's favor on your life. Activate it. Step into it. Somebody's going to get that deal. Somebody's going to get that job. Somebody's going to get those clients. Somebody's going to have those ideas. Someone is. The bread belongs to who? That's right. That's right. He had a Syrophoenician woman come to him, and Jesus calls her a dog. He's like, I have no covenant with you. He said, Lord, here, my daughter. He's like, why? I have no covenant with you. You don't give what is holy to dogs. The bread belongs to the children. You're asking me for something that you have no right to. That's not your inheritance. You're outside of my covenant. And she said, yes, Lord, but dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table. And he gave her what she asked for. Why? Because she understood who he was. He's good, he's kind, he's capable, and he's willing. She understood. So she appealed to him. But he owed her nothing. He pushed her back. He says, you want something from me? She was a Syrian Phoenician, which in that culture, they were the worst of the worst. This woman comes from a culture that was, that's why the Bible points out she was a Syro-Phoenician, Syrian Phoenician, like worst of the worst. Child killers. They would sacrifice their children openly. Long story there. These guys were bloodthirsty and very, very dark people practiced a lot of dark things, completely alienated from the things of God, outside of the things of God. And she comes to Jesus, and Jesus is like, you're a Syrian Phoenician. I have no covenant with you. Who are you to me? Yeah? But she pressed in. Even though she was offended, she pressed in. She appealed to who he was. You don't need to appeal to who he is. You need to appeal to who you are. Sons and daughters of the highest, we come boldly before the throne of grace. Right? Knowing who we are and who he is to us. We believe our Father. We put faith on it. Faith is the currency of heaven, not need. 
Stop coming to him needy. Come in faith and watch it change. You come needy. Ah, please, God, please, God. Stop doing that. He doesn't recognize you because you're not a victim. You are a victor. So when you come like a, come on. He doesn't recognize you. I like to use this story. My son was throwing a tantrum in a store one time, right? Just like going on the ground. Anybody ever had this? Ah, screaming. You can't control him, right? People are looking at you, and you're like, that's not my child. They, he came in with you. I, I, I know, but that is not my child. I'm telling you right now. It's how God, God doesn't recognize us when we act like children. He's like, it looks like Kevin, but I just, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't recognize him. He recognizes you when you step into your true identity, when you are a son and you are a daughter. You didn't ask for that title. I want you to say this. I didn't ask for the title. It was given. You didn't ask for the inheritance, but it's given. Fear not, little ones. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What does it mean? He gives it to you because he wants to. You didn't earn it. You can't earn it. He gave it to you. You didn't send in a resume and request that. He gives it to you. When you come to Christ, you're adopted as a son or a daughter with full rights of inheritance on day one. Day one. Rights of inheritance belong to you. Bread is for the children. Another story, another day. So the second prophecy that Jesus fulfills is the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9. It says, Behold, daughter of Zion, your, pro- your king comes to you riding on a colt. And then the next verse says, Bringing salvation. So he's not just riding on a colt, which is what's quoted. The next verse in that chapter says he comes bringing salvation, which is what Jesus is doing. He's coming to bring salvation. The third prophecy that he fulfills, this is why, say, this is why Jesus couldn't be called king. Because there's a prophetic timeline. It's a precision timeline. So this relates back to Daniel chapter 9. In Daniel chapter 9, I'm not going to get into all of it, but I will try to highlight it the best as I can. In Daniel, the ninth chapter, Israel, so you've got to understand where, how they got where they're at. Israel was God's people. They wouldn't listen to Jesus. Can I get a witness? They, would, they thought they had better ideas. They thought they had better ideas. And the Lord spends 150 years trying to get these people to listen, and they won't listen. And one of the things that they did is they did not honor him. They did not honor him. And so what happens, this is interesting, I got time, it's second service, whatever, let's just go for it. See, first service doesn't get all the little details. You got second service, you get a little bit more detail to the, to the story. So. <laughs> the, the, the first temple, they, the Jews had lost the first temple, and when they were in Babylon, they thought it was because they didn't keep the rules. And so when they came back into the land during Jesus' time, you see a massive culture of rule keepers, because they thought... We got kicked out of the land because we didn't keep the rules. That's, they, that was not why they lost the land. They lost the land for two reasons. They failed to honor their father. And then the second thing that they, re- they lost the land is they lowered themselves and worshiped other gods. So this had nothing to do with ticking boxes and keeping rules. It had everything to do with honor. And it had everything to do with lowering themselves. And you see the prophets even speaking to them in this narrative. And he says, is Israel a home-born slave? Are you house slaves? Why do you act like you act? Why do you lower yourselves? Can a bride forget her adornments? Can a leper forget her spots? Yet your pe- my people forget me. I've given them a fountain of living water and they drink out of mud holes. Jeremiah. Drinking out of mud holes, lowering themselves, calling on other deities, disloyal to him. <laughs> Trusting in lying vanities, empty works, empty deeds, you know? God's my provider, but you walk the stock market like it's going out of style. Is Jesus your provider or is the New York Stock Exchange your provider? I get it. Know the conditions of your flock. But why don't you bind yourself to the Lord and let him guide you in wisdom and understanding? Why not take that counsel instead of watching every, all these news media shows that just feed you information to steer you in a direction? Who's your counselor? Dr. Phil or Dr. Jesus? This is the question. Yeah, come on. Jesus doesn't have a problem with doctors. He has a problem being second, lowering yourself. You understand that? We lower ourselves and we put Jesus second in every sphere. That's dishonor to him. And what ends up happening is because of that, we end up being binding rights to, to, 
to things that we shouldn't be bound to, and we end up being enslaved and influenced to things that shouldn't influence us and enslave us, all because we lowered ourselves. They made covenants with Ishtar. Ishtar was a Babylonian god. They made covenants with Molech. Molech was a Babylonian god. And where did they get exiled to? Babylon. Because they had made covenants with the gods of the culture. <gasps> they had become common when God had called them to become extraordinary. They had lowered themselves beneath the status of their value and worth. They allowed the culture to influence them and identify them, and, they, and so therefore the culture held sway over them. It's the thought. Don't lower yourself. <laughs> Let's start again. Just say this. I renounce, Lord, every time I have ever lowered myself in my ignorance and in my arrogance before the throne of heaven, I repent, Lord, of ideologies that are not from you of covenants and agreements with a fallen and broken culture that is not yours. I desire to be influenced by you, your kingdom, and your spirit alone. I sever this day. He's going to call you out on some of this. I sever this day any and all binding rights and agreements, agreements of the mind, agreements of the heart, physical, financial, and relational agreements that have ensnagled me, entangled me, and contractually bound me in a manner that is outside of your will. I sever these rights. I repent for these rights. I repent of my ignorance and of my arrogance. And I ask the court to set me free in Jesus' name. We need to begin again. We lower ourselves, man. Is Fauci your prophet? Is Dr. Fauci your prophet? Is fear your prophet? Who's your prophet? Is CNN your prophet? Good God help us, man. We need to be the people of God. We are the salt of the earth. We are, we are the giant slayers. We are the atmosphere shifters. We are the kingdom bringers. We are the hard healers and the chain breakers. This is what we are. And we must become what he calls us. We must become what he calls us. You're not calling you that. He is. We must rise to the level of our birth. Jesus calls you what you are long before you get there. Hmm? Son and daughter, you look in the mirror and you go, son and daughter of a king, you're looking in the mirror and you're like, me? Me? I, I, I don't think so. Because he calls you what you are. He gives you a mark. And he says, press towards that mark, son and daughter. Press towards that mark, heart healer. Press towards that mark, chain breaker. Press towards that mark and watch your life emerge. Stand there and do nothing and everything stays the same. Identify with what he says and I'm going for it. I'm not just going to think it, I'm going to live it. I'm blessed in season and out. Heaven's never been broke, neither will I. Where are you at? Oh, it's getting bad. Oh, it's getting bad. Gas prices are $4, Pastor. Gas prices are $4. Hamburgers, four bucks a pound. I don't even know. I think that's even safe. You don't think God can take care of you? You don't think God can take care of you? You don't think he can provide for you? Go to your father. I'm short, Lord. I need more money. Okay. Well, how would you like me to do that? Well, I'd like... 20s and 100s if it's possible. <laughs> yeah? Present a plan to him. Don't just present a need. Tell him what you need and present him with a plan. Or if you don't have a plan, Lord, I give you permission to give me ideas, to give me transcendent. Come on. This is how he works. Great and mighty things that you know not of. He'll give you transcendent ideas. He'll show you what to do and how to do it. He'll show you. He knows your need more than you do. What you, what you lack, you lack the communion or you lack the courage. So it's enough to get the communion, but you also have to have the courage to become. Fears fear, fear claims drastic binding rights on God's people. Fear is a paralysis. It, fear, we get fearful. We have dreams, but we never step towards the dream because we're too afraid. 
So we keep the dream up as a dream because it's safe to keep it as a dream. It doesn't cost anything of me except time. And then 20 years goes by and you still haven't even moved. You still haven't done anything, right? Or you step and you get pushed against. Oh, really? You got pushed against? I got pushed against. I stepped out and I got pushed against. The kingdom suffers violence. Of course you're going to get pushed against. Anytime you step towards destiny, the devil will push on you. He's not going to push on you unless you're stepping in destiny. You may have calamity and circumstances, but that's, that's like, that's tiddlywinks. Step into destiny and you'll feel force against you. You must persevere. You must understand what God said. This is what he says. I deal, I deal with this all the time. All the time. I'm not telling you this because I'm reading it. I'm telling you this because I live it. And this is where breakthrough comes. This, this is how breakthrough comes. It's true. When this, this, is, this is Christianity in live action. This isn't theor theoretical Christianity. This is Christianity in what manifests. The kingdom is yours. The power is yours. The promises are yours. He says it. He says it. Another story, another day. So anyway, here's the, here's the thing. So Daniel's over here in Babylon. They didn't listen to Jesus. And Jesus removes them because of their covenants with the culture. Jesus put them in back into the culture. They became enslaved to a foreign culture because that's what they bowed to. Almighty oh, stock exchange. Almighty oh, business television, MSNBC. Almighty, oh, you know. Buy crypto, sell crypto. Right? Crypto's going up, crypto's going down. <laughs> too close, too close. <laughs> Invest in real estate. Get out of real estate. <laughs> Blown about by the wind. No anchor point. Jesus is the anchor point, Christian. He'll tell you what to do. He'll tell you what to do. He'll tell you what to do. Another story. So they're in, they're in Babylon. They're there in Babylon. They're being held in Babylon. And the prophet Jeremiah and the prophet Daniel are contemporaries. Both of them, you see them both asking the Lord, how long until we go home? The Lord told them 70 years. So they got in exile for 70 years for not honoring the Lord, right? And so they were, they were exiled into the culture for 70 years. And so Daniel knows that 70 years is almost up because he's looking at his watch, realizing I've been here for 70 years. I came here as a boy, you know, and now I'm creaking around. So I know, I know, I know ugh, my back is telling me it's time to, time to go to Jerusalem. And so he's praying and he's asking the Lord when, and an angel shows up, say it, angelic visitation. It's in the Bible. Angel appears to him, starts telling him, Daniel, when you prayed, I was sent to you to give you this message. I had to fight my way to you, but I'm here. And he says, 70 weeks have been proclaimed upon your people. So he gives him a prophecy of the end each week. So every day of the week in this prophetic sequence is one year. So it's 70 series of one year, seven year weeks. Does that make sense? So seven, say it with me. One week is seven years. Got me? So 490 is what he's given him, 497-year periods. And he gives them two distinct things. He tells them this is what's going to happen. So he tells them when you go home, there's going to be a decree to rebuild Jerusalem. When Jeru he doesn't even answer what Daniel's asking for. He shows him something above what Daniel's asking for. He says, when you go home, the king will issue a decree to rebuild Jerusalem. From the time, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase some of this. I don't have time to break down all of the little details, but I'm going to get it right. The king will issue a decree and he will allow you to go home and build Jerusalem. There was no decree yet. And he says, when the king issues the decree to go home and build, rebuild Jerusalem, you will count 173,880 days or 69 weeks. 360 day years, 69, 173,880 days. From that decree, the Messiah will enter Jerusalem and he will be cut off. 173,880 days. Messiah Nagib will be cut off, but not for himself. And he says that the Messiah will do two things. He will finish transgression. He will put an end to sin. He will atone for iniquity. And then he will bring everlasting righteousness. Three out of the four he's done. He, we're waiting on the last one. And so what happens here is that there's two parts to this prophecy. There will be two decrees that will be given. This is Jesus' uh, Jeremiah is, not Daniel, excuse me. The angel is showing Daniel the entire picture of the coming age, of the coming kingdom. And he says it's going to come in twofold. One is going to come with the Messiah, the king, entering Jerusalem, and he'll be cut off. The second will come with a, with a return. That's another story. I'll touch on it. 
And so the first, the first decree comes like this. So the first decree was March 14th. This is all history. March 14th, 445 B.C., Artaxerxes Longiminus issued a decree allowing the Jews to return home to rebuild Jerusalem. There were two decrees. One said they could go back, and back home, then, but that wasn't the one. The, the second decree is the one where he says you can go back and build the city because they weren't allowed to build the city. So this, there was two decrees. The second decree, he said, go and build the, build the city. They were allowed to go home and build the city. From that date to rebuild Jerusalem, 69 weeks, 173,880 days, brings you precisely to March 14th, brings you precisely to April 6th, 32 AD, which is the sixth day of the month of Nizon, which is Passover, which is, this, which, which is the day that Jesus entered, the, which is the beginning of the Passover feast. It's the very same day. So from, do you, do you guys get this? Am I, am I explaining this correctly? So this prophecy is point specific. 173,880 days. The king signs the decree. Boom, the timeline begins. One, that's why Jesus would not accept king, the title of king, because it was, it was tied to a prophecy. And so when 173,880 days happen, Jesus gets on the donkey and comes cruising into town. He gets the Ray-Bans on. He's the king, and they're calling him king, right? Donkey's clocking four, four time. Jesus is like, disciples are behind him. Pharisees are running up beside him. Do you hear what they're saying about you? Jesus goes, I hear it. Do you? Because if they don't say it, the rocks will cry out. <laughs> I am the king. The walls of this city will declare who I am. This is the city of the king. The rocks, the foundations of this world will cry out who I am. I'm the king of this world and the one that is to come. And then they wanted to kill him. <laughs> Great, right? Good, good piece there. Israel was in Babylon. This is what ends up happening, and this prophecy was time-dated specifically to this moment in time. Jesus can match a prophecy to the day, and he can't take care of you. He can't take care of you. God's decree in your life is not subject to circumstantial intervention. He will do what he has said he will do. But you see, Jesus had to partner with this. He's the model, right? He's the divine prototype of the new creation. He modeled. He could have accepted kingship any time. They wanted to make him king several times, but he refused because he knew it was out of timeline. So there was a partnership that the Lord had to do in order to make this prophecy happen. They wanted to tell him he was king several times. He could have taken it, but he didn't. But he didn't. When God makes a decree in your life, he is more than capable of fulfilling it. What is required of you is faith and alignment. If God said something to you, he's going to do it. Your job is not to get out of the timeline. Your job is to do it with him, not apart from him. God said he's going to bless me. I guess I've got to get over here and start blessing myself. Who told you that? Been through many, many different tr difficult trials. Went through a very difficult trial. The Lord said, I'm going to deliver you. 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 Waited, waited, waited. He delivers me. It wasn't, what I look, it wasn't what I was expecting. You know, I'm expecting this big confetti parade of some massive deliverance, but I was delivered. I was free. God will do, and what's the point here? God will do, he's not bound to your expectation. He's bound to his word. If he provides for you, he's honored his word. Do you understand that? He says three things. When the Messiah comes, he's going to end transgression. He's going to put an end to sin. He's going to atone for iniquity. This is important. I need to, I need to explain this. Why did the Messiah come? He came for these three things, to put an end to transgression. Jesus didn't just come to just hang out. He came to do specific things. There's three parts of sin. There's actually four parts to sin, if you really want to get technical, but there's three parts of sin. The first one, he says, is to put an end to transgression. This is, this is how pathetic we are. This is why we need Jesus. Man thinks man is so blind to what the condition that we're actually in. First thing is to put an end to transgression. Transgression means to cross the line. So when Adam sinned, he crossed the line. Adam went out of God's family, separated, transgressed, crossed the line. Jesus is like, I'm going to put an end to the transgression. I'm going to make a way home. They're no longer going to be outside of the boundaries. They're no longer going to be outside of the line. 
This is one of the reasons why Jesus came, was to put an end to this transgression. I know many Christians that are like this. Their lives and their hearts belong to Jesus, but so many other areas of their life are misaligned and they're in transgression. They're over the line of what God wants for them or what he expects of them. Another story, another day. So transgression, second thing is sin. He uses harimatia. Harimatia means to offend, to push away. Harimatano means to miss the mark. Harimatia means to offend. That's two different types of sin. This is the sin that condemns man. The condemnation is that we, Adam, pushed, Adam pushed God away. And when he pushed God, God didn't move. Adam fell. And so here's Jesus describing us. And here's what the, in, this, in this passage is that man is out of bounds and he's lying face down on the ground. Right? We're, we're in transgression and we're in sin. We're fallen. And then the third thing that Messiah is going to do is he's going to deal with iniquity. You see, this is the root of it all. It's not just the transgression and the sin. It's the iniquity. It's what's in us. It's the sin nature. It, say it with me. Iniquity is issues in the bloodline. And he's going to end the iniquity. How is he going to end the iniquity? Because he's going to give his blood in place of the blood of Adam. He's going to give his blood to atone for and pay the price for the iniquity that lies within the ancestral line of Adam. And all y'all are born from Adam. All y'all. Red, yellow, black, white. Right? Your uncle wasn't a monkey. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. Right? Got me? You don't come from a family of orangutans or some amoeba that came out. You were created by God. On purpose with a purpose. Distinct and unique. And so the Adam, he had to pay, Jesus came as the last Adam to deal with the transgression. In other words, to provide a way home, to deal with the offense, to draw us back when we have pushed away, and to cleanse us of the iniquity. That's why sin is transferred. It goes from one to the other. Your little babies, they look all sweet and tender, you know, sucking on that bottle, you know, little poopy diaper here every now and then. But when that child gets two or three years old and starts running around the house, you can see their sin nature. Can I get a witness? No, mine. Eh. Throwing things at mom, right? You got me? You all with me? All of us are born and we carry a sin nature. We're born in iniquity. We're born with iniquity in us. And so Jesus comes to give his blood so that we are no longer born of the earth, but we're born of heaven. He comes as the last Adam. This is the concept, right? It needs to be understood. I, I say this a lot because it has to be understood. This is what it means. If you're not in Christ, you're still under the line of Adam. Therefore, you're still under the condemnation of sin. You're still under iniquity. When you give your life to Christ, you come out of that and you come into Jesus. We're born, we have to be born what? Again. Why do we have to be born again? Because we're born of the line of Adam and we're saved by the blood of Jesus. Why? Because we're born of the blood of Adam. You understand? It's a transference. Out of darkness into light. This is why we must be born again. You must give your life to Christ. There is salvation in no other. There is no salvation in Buddha. There's no salvation in Krishna. L. Ron Hubbard, Dr. Phil, Oprah Winfrey, I don't care how many, what seminars you go to, you know, what is that? Dwyer, that Dwyer guide, Osha. I'm into Osho, man. I'm into Osho. I like healing stones. Osha's not saving you, dude. Not saving you at all. You can do Osha, Osho, you, know, you can be a Buddhist. You can have some yak butter and gluten-free bread. You know, you're all good. Great diet plan. Good exercise regime too, you know. So there's some healthy things there, but you're not saved. You're not saved. You're not born again. There's one name under heaven by which we may be saved. It's the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. There is none. And so you say, I don't believe that. Well, then poor you. You, not, you, just, you need to believe it. You must be born again. If you remain not born again, you will remain outside of God's covenant and outside of God's family. Man is eternal. You live forever. You live forever. The angels fell, but they live forever. Hmm? Man has fallen, but he will live forever. Man lives eternally, either in, in, in the kingdom or out of it. You either go where Satan and the angels go, or you go where Jesus and the, and the other angels are. And the Father is. You have a choice. And there is no metal ground. There is no purgatory. There's no second chances. You got one. You got one. Man, that's it. There's no other way. 
That's how dire our situation is. That's how narrow the road is. Broad is the way, narrow is the way, right? Christ is the narrow way. There's, we don't have a broad, there's not many roads, many ways to land an airplane. Aren't you glad the pilot doesn't say that, you know? Co-pilot and I were thinking about today, we were going to try to land this plane. You know, we're thinking about it. We're having a debate up here in the cockpit. You know, Steve and Jose here, we're, 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 we're pilots, and, you know, we're just thinking about different ways to land a plane. You know, Jose over here, he's got the idea of landing at wheels up. And I thought to myself, I've never landed a plane wheels up, so I thought we were going to try to land this plane today with wheels up. There's not many ways to land a plane, man. You know what I'm saying? Wheels down. You know what I mean? There's not many ways to have it. There's one. One. And his name is Jesus. Amen. Pharisees take counsel to give them the voices in the crowd. Here's the question. Which one are you? We have to bring this home. We have to ask ourselves, which one am I? You know, if you're outside of Christ, are you the critic and the hater? That's what these guys were. They were critics and haters. And you know why they were critical? Because Jesus said he was the only way. They thought their system was the way. They thought their religion was the way. They thought they were the gatekeepers, right? Their system was all built on works and righteousness to them. Are you a critic? Are you a hater? I pray not. Then you got the fans, Lots of fans. Modern American culture, church culture is built on fandom. Fans. But as shallow as they come, as soon as the heat of the day comes about and difficulties happen, boom, the fans evaporate. Oh, but when the party's rolling, yeah, Jesus, yeah, Jesus. But then when the heat of the day comes down and you must be forced to follow, you must follow him. Yeah, then it's like, oh, no, I can't do that. That's what happened with Jesus. You see it. He had tons of fans around him. Yeah, he said, unless you love me more than your mother, brother, father, sister, cousin, unless you love me, unless you're willing to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, he uses this word, you're not worthy of me. He uses the word worthy. If you cannot deny yourself and follow me, you're not worthy of me because you don't know who I am. You don't know what I am. You have no clue. Crazy, right? And they all left him. They all left him. All the fans left him. It's one of the most fascinating stories in all of the Bible. Is everybody, but we see it today. They just leave him. Why? Because he called them to a standard. As soon as he said, this is the standard, they're like, I'm out. I'm out. Who can keep this guy's words? This is too difficult. I'm going home and watching Netflix. This isn't, this isn't cool, right? And Jesus looks at the disciples and he tells Peter, you going to? Door's right there, man. He didn't beg one, you know, you know what's interesting? He didn't beg one person to come back. That's another fascinating thing in that story. Kind, compassionate Jesus. He didn't run after him going, please, please, please. I, I just really want you to understand. He, 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 he was indifferent to it all. You want to leave the doors there because you don't understand what stands in front of you. If you knew the gift of God that sat in front of you, he told the woman at the well, if you knew who I was, if you knew who and what I was, you would ask me. And that's the game, isn't it? Who is he? We treat him like trifles. A fan? Really? We're at the level of fan? We've got to get past that. We've got to get past that. No way. Fans won't endure. Won't stand. And we've got the believers. believers are, the believers in this crowd, they're not even the highest level. The believers are simply people who've given their heart to Christ but give nothing more. <laughs> too close? Is that too close? They've given their heart to Christ, but they give nothing more. They never cross the... If, it's incon, if anything is inconvenient, anything is inconvenient, oh, we don't want it. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, the chair in the front row doesn't vibrate anymore. I'm out of here, man. You want me to come to church every Sunday? You expect me to be here? Are you crazy? Dude, I got to go boating. Right? I got to wash my car. What are you talking about? No, 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 no. And none of that. None of that. No, 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 no. Believer, never inconvenience. Don't ask me to give. Don't ask me to serve. Don't ask me to come. If I come, you should celebrate me at the door. I mean, I want a round of applause when I walk in the door. And if you, by chance, in some mystery time, in the, time, in the entire time that I may or may not be around, if you ever see me give an offering, I want to be recognized for that too. Believers, believers, they give nothing of themselves. But the follower, oh, now, now we're into another game here. 
right? Followers give it all. Followers are all in. Yeah? The question is, is who are we? Where are we on this spectrum? And where do we want to go? Where do you want to go? I'm a follower, man. It's all in. It's nothing but all in. Nothing but all in. Nothing but all in. There's no believer here. You know, you know, we call out believers, we use that term loosely, but really the ultimate goal is to be a follower. That's what it is. It, it's, it's, it's not about me. It's, it's about you. It's about my life into yours, your life into mine. All that you are for all that I am, Lord. I seek first your kingdom and what is right to you. I don't seek first my kingdom and what is right to me. I seek you above all things. Everything I do, I desire to integrate with you. My family, my faith, my friendships, my future, my finances, everything I do. That's a follower. That's a follower. All in. What do you want to be? Where do you want to go? There'll be another contract, so you know. Another contract's going to come along, along the line. The Bible says there's going to be another antichrist, a guy called the Antichrist, Antichrist, not anti-Jesus. I want to point that out to everyone who's watching. The Bible doesn't talk about a guy who's anti-Jesus. So the Antichrist won't be anti-Jesus. He'll be the most ecumenical person in the world. Oh, I believe in Jesus. Oh, yeah, I believe in Buddha. I believe in Mahomes. He says he believes in Jesus. He's not anti-Jesus. He's anti-anointing. He's against power. You see, the word Christ is Christos. It means anointing. That's where the word power comes from. Hmm? So the devil's not going to be anti-Jesus, or the Antichrist isn't going to be anti-Jesus. He will be anti-anointing. He will be against, against the power and the anointing and the forthcoming of the kingdom. He will, be, he will oppose that. Important to know. Antichrist will come. Jesus said, I come in my Father's name, and you, don't, you reject me. One will come in his own name. Him you will receive. Speaking of the Antichrist. Antichrist will come and sign a covenant with many, the Bible says, and they will rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. There is no temple in Jerusalem. There hasn't been a temple in Jerusalem for 2,000 years. But you need to Twitter it. There will be, or exit, whatever it is, there will be a temple in Jerusalem. It will be built because the Bible says it will be built. So I was just watching uh, Godfather. That's right, spiritual movie, I know, right? And Don Corleone is talking to his son, Michael. He's like, the one, Michael, the one who brings the agreement. He's the traitor. So in the words of Don Corleone, the one who signs the agreement. He's the Antichrist. You don't need to worry about things, Christian. I said this the first service. The world, say it with me, the world, the world. is not going to end in an ecological disaster. What? I got to buy carbon credits, man. No, you don't. The Bible's not ending because of some carbon crisis. It's not ending because we got, oh my gosh, we got rising sea levels. Wrong. This, uh, this world is not subject to man's fantasies. It's subject to what he says. We know how the world's going to end. The, to preach it. The world's not ending in an ecological disaster. It's not. It just isn't. Four volcanoes re release more carbon into the atmosphere than the entire history of the industrialized world. Four volcanoes. You got volcanoes right now, live active volcanoes, steaming tons of carbon into the atmosphere every single day. And we're worried about cars and airplanes. D dude, there's an agenda here, people. There's an agenda here. There's an enslavement agenda that is in play here. Just saying, we know better. My kids would always ask me, Dad, what about this? What about this? What about that? I'd be like, don't worry about that. Ah, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. I'd say, but when you see the temple going up, pay attention. When they do the tilt-up temple, which that's probably how they're going to build it, because they can't cut stones on the mount. The Bible forbids the cutting of the stone on the temple mount. Is that crazy? They'd have to go cut the stone and bring the stone back. And then if the stone didn't fit, they'd have to take the stone back and cut the stone again because they were not allowed to cut a stone on the temple mount. So they say, how are they going to do this? They're probably going to do a tilt-up. They won't cut stone on the mount. They'll tilt it up. It'll be a tilt-up construction. They'll have that temple up probably in a month, three months max. They're ready to go. It's not going to take them years to build that temple. They'll have it up immediately. Mm-hmm. 
And the Bible says, when you see the abomination who makes desolation, that would be the Antichrist, standing in the temple in the holy place, know that the end is near. It is even at your door. Well, the end isn't at the door because they don't have a temple. Sorry, there needs to be a temple. There needs to be an Antichrist standing in the temple. Another story, I don't want to get, I can already feel the theological pulls I want to make on that, but I'm not going to do it. Don't be afraid, Christian. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Wars and rumors of wars, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of sudden disaster that overtakes the wicked, don't be afraid. Don't bind yourself to foolishness. Let them call you fool. You can call me fool all day you want, man. You know, you're going to get, you, you planning your electric vehicle? I'm like, no, not at all. <laughs> I'm actually trying to go back to the time when cars weren't electronic at all. I'm not trying to go back, but at least I want to have one that I don't have to worry about them shutting it down electrically or electronically. It's crazy madness that's going on in our world. It's madness. Madness. All of these things are built up to the end. You'll see wars, rumors of wars, and all of these different things, and they will collaborate, and they will coagulate, and they will move towards, towards the center, but not yet. Just like Jesus didn't fulfill the prophecy until the day, these things will move towards the center. I was telling Jeremiah, Aldi in England is, uh, is cashless. So you all know Aldi? Their grocery stores in England don't take cash at all. They arrested a guy for buying cranberries and putting the exact change on the counter. He left, they arrested him because the store doesn't take, doesn't even look it up. The store doesn't take cash. Yeah, England, right now, today, they narrow and narrow and narrow to a cashless society. Where does that come from? Oh, they couldn't buy or sell. Cashless society, everything was credits. Yeah, but it's not now. These things are moving towards that center. You need to be awake and aware. You need to not be sleeping. Blessed are those that the master finds ready. We're not supposed to stare at the sky. We're supposed to be aware of things. And to me, the marker is the temple. That is the marker. So whether it happens in my lifetime, the lifetime of my grandchildren, or some other point down the line, it's irrelevant. I will not fear. Live your life today. Give your life for Jesus. Serve him. Have something to present to him. Don't come before a king empty-handed. You will come before the king and you will offer the tribute of your life. What will, what will that look like? Hmm? You're, li you're going to offer him something. And there's going to be a lot of people with nothing in their hands. They're going to be like, they'll get in the kingdom. Corinthians says, your works will be tried as hay, wood, and stubble. That which was done for him will be get refined and given as gold and, gold and silver. So what you've done in and with him and for him. So the, the key is in him, with him, and then for him. Not for him. You must do it in him and with him and then for him. There will be a reward for that. Everything you've done for yourself will go poof. Right? Poof. Gone. Burned by hay, wood, and stubble, but they themselves will, will enter, but yet by fire. In other words, your rear end's going to be smoking, but you're going to make it into the kingdom. Woo! Just made it in. Hallelujah. It's true. Do you want to come before a king empty-handed? I have no intention of coming before a king empty-handed. Neither should you. Don't be a believer. Be a follower. Honor the Lord. You understand? Yeah. Be a follower. Don't be common. Say, say this. Why would I want to be common when the Lord has called me to be exceptional? Why would I settle for common when the Lord has empowered me to be exceptional? Say this, the Lord's standard for me is not perfection. It is excellence. And His excellence is defined by me doing the very best that I can in the moment I'm in with what I have available. You understand that? Jesus expects your best in the moment with what you have. If that's your best based on what you have, great. But that's what He expects of us is to do that. Amen? I just want to ask him if he wants me to pray for you guys a certain way. Just say this, Holy Spirit, I give you permission to guide my life into and through kingdom purposes. I refuse to be common when you have died and have given me your power 
to rise to excellence. I desire not to be common, but to be exceptional. Holy Spirit, show me the ways of exceptionality that relate to me personally in my life. Teach me to serve you. Teach me to go further, to love deeper, and to give more in concert and in communion with you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let me bless you. Come on, we can clap. You guys are, you guys are a clapping crowd. First service was a cheering crowd. You guys are the clapping crowd. Let's go. Let me bless you. Father, we just thank you so much for this day. I thank you for these beautiful people. Lord, I release your blessing over their lives. May the Lord, uh, I got to say this. If you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, and if you're watching my live stream, and you've never given your life to Jesus, you're outside looking in, and you say, I want to get inside, bro. I'm going to show you how in 40 seconds. It's a 40-second prayer. Just open your heart. Open your heart and receive it. You don't have to understand it. You just need to receive it. Elevate's going to pray here with us, and we're going to go for it. I'm going to bless you, and we're going to close this service. Just say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I don't understand all of this, but I choose to believe it. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you in Jesus' name. And let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. We've got a prayer team available.